0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the challenges that happen in between, except for today. I've realized that one of the most important things behind our shots is our rights. So today, we're going to take a close look at copyright for photographers with the two guys who know it better than almost anybody, Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki of the Copyright Zone on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome again to another episode of Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazzle. This is a show where we try and get inside the mind of photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots, dissecting it, how they ended up in the environment, why they chose the exposure settings they did, all the nightmare stories as well. But today is gonna to be slightly different. Today is a special episode. I have two guests with me today that are the definitive people as far as I'm concerned on copyright for photographers. So let me set this up a little bit here. Uh, I had a recent issue with some images and in having that issue I started researching copyright and found out actually one of the most important things behind your shot is protecting your art. So I started looking into it and I ended up meeting uh, one of my guests today having to do with this issue and asked if they would come on do an episode of behind the shot with me so that we can kind of help other photographers Understand all the misinformation that's out there on the internet, which is pretty much everything. You know, it's like they say, you can find anything that you want to on the internet as long as you don't need it to be correct. Um, so with that in mind, today we're going to talk about copyright. And we're going to talk about it with what I consider to be the best there is, the the people from the copyright zone. It's Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki. Gentlemen, how are you today?
1: I am very good. Doing good.
0: I I am so glad you guys are here. And and Ed, you and I have spoken a little bit. Jack, this is the first time that I'm meeting you here today.
2: I didn't tell that to my wife, so.
0: Okay, good, good. It's probably best that we we right. keep some secrets. You guys, and I think you have a copy of it, and I have a copy of it. Mm-hmm. You guys are the co-authors of this book. Now, if you start looking up copyright for photographers, and I should probably specify mostly in specifically in the U.S. type stuff, but if you start looking up copyright for photographers, you're going to find your website, The Copyright Zone. And you're going to find this book, it's a legal guide for photographers and artists in in what we have now, the the digital world of the internet and everything else.
1: Not
2: written for lawyers, written for photographers, models, advice. agents, reps, people who don't want and or who can't read legalese because they didn't go to law school. Uh, and for that, they should thank uh, the deities. Yeah, and we have cartoons too in it.
0: Yes, you do actually, and you know what I like about the book is, like, like Ed just said, it, it's it's not written for lawyers, right? It is so easy to digest. It's not small type. Um, the pictures are are visible and readable when you're talking about registration. Ed, let's talk about you a little bit. You are a, a practicing lawyer. You're in New York. You've been doing it for years and years,
1: and you've represented
2: forty really long years
1: and still practicing. You yeah, you still have really it by now.
0: Really. Exactly. It, forty well, years goes by so fast when Jack's next to you.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, you, you've you represented some of the top names, models, illustrators, agencies, reps. It's mm-hmm. not just photographers, but you have represented name brand photographers, Richard Avedon being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I found interesting as I was researching you, you've been both a guest lecturer, but also faculty at the master's program in digital photography, School of Visual Arts in New York.
2: Yes, but Jack's been there even longer. Yeah, so you're right. both there? Well, at this moment, Jack is there, and I do guest lectures. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Jack, and then you've, you've Jack both Jack been Jack. on This Week in Photo with, uh, with Frederick Van Johnson.
1: Right. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: um, there's a great episode you did with Scott Kelby on uh, The Grid right. that everybody that, should look up and watch.
2: That one is free. The other episodes and courses that we did on Kelby – you have to be a subscriber or a right. member of Kelby One. Right.
0: You We've have done an done. actual Kelby One course? Oh about yeah. Six
2: of them. Well, no, not six of them. Six videos, right?
0: Okay, that right there is a reason okay. to be a Kelby One member.
1: Yeah, it's it's we do the uh, registration walkthrough. We do, um, for those that can't read well and and can't do it by, but some people prefer to watch the video. Um, it's the same thing as in the book. And there's uh, one on model releases. Yeah, that's the one thing. That the title is The Copyright Zone but we cover a lot more territory than just the copyright, uh, about copyright. It's, it's model releases, it's um, different contracts you should be signing, second uh, photographers, um, negotiating, uh, a lot of different things. How to find so-
2: a lawyer, how to find a rep. Uh, there's a large section on wedding photographers because we get a tremendous amount of inquiries and cases involving wedding photography.
0: So really it's a business course from a legal point of view, for photographers, oh, that's yeah, exactly right. right. Okay, so, so Jack, to... let's touch on you a little bit. You are a working photographer, mostly commercial work, right? People and and right. children stuff like that. Exactly. Okay. Um, also, yeah. an educator. You do lectures. You do workshops. I did not know that you were a Photoshop World uh, Dream Team instructor with with my buddy Alan Hess too. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah
2: wait, a you didn't a say drink team, did you? Yeah, drink team. Drink depends on what's in the glass. He's. <laughs> No, that's, um, that's my line. I don't care if the glass is half full or half empty. All I care about is what's in the glass.
1: Is what's in the glass. Um, um, also, because now you know why he gets paid by the hour. Um, <laughs> hard to keep him quiet. Uh, I've also been a uh, Canon um, Explorer of Light since the original uh, inception of the program. And I've, I've had two
0: other Canon Explorers of Light on this show. Uh, my buddy Rick Salmon has been okay. on the show. Um, and then Ken Sklute. Has okay, done the show. Uh, do you know Ken?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Ken's
0: a great guy.
1: Yeah, the explorers is, is a it's a small group. It's not a lot of us. It's, you you know to? what's
0: interesting? Both those episodes were some of my longest episodes because when it, when a Rick Salmon or a Ken Sklute gives you information, mm-hmm. you just sit back and let it roll because you you guys are amazing. You've shot actually for Tylenol, Wall Street Journal, Kodak, Hyatt, AT and T, Toys. I mean.
1: It well, was a big one for me. Yeah. Which one? Toys R Us. They were Toys along.
0: R Us. I mean, you've got a resume behind you, but this is the one that stuck out at me when I researched you. Uh oh. You've had more than one Time Magazine cover. Yeah, I had two. To get one is insane.
1: Well, I, you know, I it never felt like much because I was my studio was down the hall from Greg Heisler, and Greg, okay. you know, is the I think he's broken the records of how many time covers he's had and how many men of the year covers. So for me to get to it, was like, woo, you know, but no, that was a big thrill. That really was a big thrill to do.
0: You're also involved in photo organization. So you're past president of PPA. I'm on a board of a local photo organization here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about your, your educational stuff, adjunct professor uh, in the Master of Professional Studies in Digital Photography at the School of Visual Arts, New York. Um, this was another one that that I'm uh, someday over a drink. I really do have to talk to you about this one. Twice you have received the International Photographic Council Leadership Medal. It's an excellence in studio photography at the United Nations.
1: Yeah, which is actually about three blocks from where we are right now. <laughs> it was just it's a it was a local thing. But yeah, once uh, Kodak nominated me many years ago, and then uh, PPA um, uh,
2: nominated me. The beauty of it is with the new security, he couldn't get into the building now. Exactly. Even if yeah. he was wearing the medals.
0: In fact, they probably said, Jack's coming, close.
1: Yeah, what about the medal they give you? You yeah. sound like, you're like a rapper. I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, they go trouble, trouble.
0: Yeah, uh, I should mention, cause you mentioned Canon with the Explorers of Light. You also, Epson Stylus Pro, Sandisk PhotoMaster, uh, X-Rite Colorati. So you've got photographic cred behind you, like very few people on the planet. So in other words, for the people watching right now, these are the two that you want to talk to when you're dealing with with copyright and and photography. And again, and, and maybe one of you guys can answer this question really quick. I, I keep saying specifically to the U.S. because we're dealing with, you know, the U.S. Copyright Office and U.S. law. Will any of this be translatable to, yeah. to viewers overseas?
2: Sure. Yeah. And I just want to throw in uh, before I forget uh, the book is also applicable to illustrators. I am uh, was the attorney for the Society of Illustrators and represent lots of illustrators, including Anita Coons, who has done over about 100 covers of New York magazine, uh, The New Yorker, uh, and she is the only illustrator, to my knowledge, who ever did two covers of two magazines that came out the same week, That would be the 40th anniversary of uh, Saturday Night Live on Rolling Stone. And she did the New Yorker cover that week. So everything in the book is translatable to illustrators as well, not only photographers. So
0: it's a a visual arts thing, really.
2: Yes. Yes. Um,
1: Every country has its own peculiarities, but most countries these days are signatory of the Byrne Convention. And a lot of the things apply. But the beauty is – You can register your images in the U.S. and not be a citizen or a resident and be covered. And in some cases, as long as the company um, that's infringed on you, it has a presence here in the United States. Uh, And many times you can sue here in the United States. In other words, it happened abroad. Right, right. There's a possibility of suing them here. And uh, honestly, because of our court system, you can
2: collect a lot more money here. To simplify, I'm gonna work backwards, okay? And the gist, or the most important part of the advice is that wherever you're located, wherever your studio is, wherever you shoot, the odds of your images being infringed in the United States are high. In order to sue and get the big bucks in the United States, it needs to be registered in the United States. So we have any number of photographers who are located in France, Germany, Australia, uh, Colombia, Brazil? Who register their images in the United States from the convenience of their desktop? Uh, it takes just a few minutes, and for a fifty-five dollar fee, they can register thousands of unpublished images, and that covers them in the event the infringement takes place in the United States.
1: Let me let me also put this in another perspective or another another uh, terms. When we go do our lectures, one of the first questions we ask people is, how many people here have camera insurance? And, you know, 99% of the hands go up. Everybody has camera insurance to protect their cameras. Then we say, how many people here have image insurance? And we say, image insurance is registration. That's really what it is. It's insurance to protect your images. Before something happens.
0: Okay, uh, that and, and you that, that actually is a great description. That puts in perspective what I've tried to explain to people when you get into to uh, all the minutia of it. Let, let let's start at the beginning but first of
2: all. It's even better than insurance because if you insure <laughs> your camera and the camera is worth a thousand dollars, whatever your forget about whatever your deductible is. Uh, the most amount of money you're going to get from your insurance company is thousand dollars. When you register your work then you are potentially uh, in a situation where you can recover statutory damages and attorney's fees for infringements. So you may have had your work infringed for something that you would have granted a license for for $5,000 or not at all but be able to go to court and collect one hundred and fifty dollars or $170,000. No insurance company is going to give you more than your loss. And and before you get into the meat of it, which I'd like
1: to get into right away, I don't want to go too many places apart, there there has been a, um, an ad campaign lately by um, uh, some of the trade associations basically scaring people about, Suing for infringement, they're saying it's going to cost uh, hundred thousand dollars to engage a lawyer. A lawyer doesn't want to get involved unless the case is worth thirty thousand dollars or more, and and none of that is true. And I'm looking, and they're doing this because they want people to get scared about the high cost of it, so that they'll um, help push for this small claims um, uh, process uh, for infringement, which is fine. And and we're okay with all of that. No, you are. Well, yeah. but <laughs> the, I, I lawyer. the lawyer jumps in. But, but before you can get well, into there's that there's reason. the reasons. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the, the basic idea we're all for, the, the way some of it's going about, we're not happy about. But the ad campaign to scare people into supporting it is scaring people into, oh, gee, you know, if I have an infringement, I don't think I can afford it because it's not worth $30,000 or I don't have 100000 to pay for a lawyer. That's not true. A lot of cases are, are a lot less than that, and it doesn't cost you that much. If you end up going to federal court and for the full shot, yeah, it's going to cost money. But the truth is
2: 95 98%- More than 95% of all claims, copyright claims, are settled before there are any legal papers filed in a court, and 99% of all copyright cases are settled without a trial. And of those cases, less than a tiny fraction of 1% are the results known because they are confidentially set, right. with neither side being able to report what the results were. I'm very busy. There are other attorneys who do what I do, who are very busy. And if these cases were not economical or not viable, I would have nothing to do and have to go back to fixing transmissions on uh, old cars. So uh, getting back one other thing to the small (laughs) claims. um, We'll never get to this. A few years ago, at the request of the APA, I wrote a proposal which went to the United States Congress for smaller claims court, which was not a separate court, but suggestion for a separate division of federal court, because all copyright claims have to be in federal court, for cases worth less than $100,000. Photographers out there think that their cases are worth two, 000, three, 000, four thousand $4,000 because they're being told by people, some of whom are lawyers, who have no idea what their cases are worth. Uh, I personally don't take cases that are worth one, two, three, four thousand uh, dollars. Those cases, most cases that we take, are worth many, many, many times that.
0: So, so let's start at the beginning here, because, uh, you 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 know there was the monkey case or gorilla or whatever it was, right? Barring the exceptions that are in there, like work yeah. for hire or whatever, generally when you snap a photo and you press the shutter, you own copyright, but. For those that are new into photography, new wedding photographer, whatever, you know, the helicopter view, what's copyright? What, what does that mean to me as a photographer that I own my
1: copyright? Well, uh, there's two things. We talk a lot about registration. Copyright is, is exactly as it says. It's your right of copy. People can't copy your image, and how it's copied is um, uh, the rights you have. It's called the bundle of rights. It's a specific set of rights that you have. Uh, And it's the rights of reproduction, the right of um, distribution. It's the right of saying, I only want my photo in color. I never want it in black and white. Or I only want it in black and white. I don't want it in color. I only want it distributed east of the Mississippi. I don't want it um, uh, ever shown in L.A. Um,
2: You have all those rights. You can control your image. Or I don't want you to use it at all, right?
0: So it's basically you're exercising your right over your art.
2: Over your property. Over your property, your intellectual property. The difference between uh, artistic works, sculptures, photographs, illustrations is it's intellectual property. And unless you make one statue, for example, and sell it to somebody, 95% of the time you are licensing it. Okay. You're giving someone the right to use it, not unlike renting a car from Hertz. Right. You can go to a Ford dealership and buy a car and do whatever you want with that car. But if you rent a car from Hertz, you have it for a limited time, a limited purpose, and you have to bring it back.
0: And you have restrictions and conditions. So, th- so I mentioned work for hire a second ago. Right. Obviously, that's an exception. So
2: Correct.
0: how does work for hire affect my copyright? You have uh, and for that matter, can it just be somebody assumes they hired you, work for hire, or does that need to be in writing?
1: It, it has to be in writing. It cannot be assumed unless you are a full-time employee getting, you know, a weekly paycheck. Okay. In, and, in that case, then you and, are work for
2: hire. And part of your job is taking pictures. Okay. So then you're a full-time employee and whatever you produce for your employer Is owned by the employer if however you are a plumber and that's all you do is you do plumbing for office buildings and one day your boss says to you we're gonna go look at a site that I want to put my uh, build a private house on and I want you to bring your camera and take pictures of it that's not in connection with his employment as a plumber and that person slash plumber owns the copyright to those images, unless he signs a piece of paper that says, I am giving all right copyright and interest to my boss, Joe Blow, they're his. In which case, he's done, he has no more claims. And
0: that's the work for hire concept.
1: Well, let me let me go into photography rather than plumbing at this point. Um, if, if you're a wedding photographer and you say, hey, Ed, come shoot with me and be a second shooter. I'll get the main shots. I want you to get the candles of this and that, shoot around. If we don't have a written agreement and I haven't had him sign off on it, he owns the copyright to everything he photographed. And we've had cases where a second shooter suddenly says, hey, you know what? I'm going to sell these to the bride myself. Screw you. Believe it or not, that's happened. And he's perfectly entitled because those are his pictures.
0: Regardless of the expectations of the primary shooter.
1: Exactly.
2: Expectations mean nothing. We have a single, it has to be in writing. We have a single page second shooter agreement where the second shooter basically says everything I shoot for the boss belongs to the boss. Right. And we have instances in weddings, a whole list of them, where the wedding photos were more valuable, uh, not as wedding photos per se, but because they showed in one instance a mobster with his girlfriend and he didn't want his wife to see it, so he paid the photographer a lot of money to destroy certain images. Uh, you never know what you're gonna capture in a wedding photo that might right. be worth money.
1: Or somebody who might be the ring bearer years later becomes a movie star. Which, or, is,
0: which is part of the reason doing what I do as a concert photographer, I always tell people, always shoot the opening act, because you don't know that you're not gonna get a really hungry, unknown band that 20 years from now is Metallica or Rush. So well, Exactly. One of the things you guys started out this conversation with was, was registration. I want to touch on that for a second because I think I told you guys, I, I don't know if we were recording or not at this point, but uh, I had somebody come over recently and say, can you, can you walk me through registration? And I tried walking them through it and their eyes glazed over and it's not that hard. Chapter two of your book. So if you go buy this book right here, okay, the copyright zone. It's on Amazon, and the link will be in the blog post, by the way. Um, There is a step-by-step guide in that book that's the best step-by-step guide I've actually ever seen. Images that you can see and read, but but here's the deal. When you go register your images with the U.S. Copyright Office, we've talked about what the benefit is of of registering your copyright kind of at the beginning. Is there anything we missed as far as benefit?
2: I I want to say one thing. I want to give Jack a compliment but I want your editor to cut this out of the table.
0: I I will do that.
2: Okay. That section, which is written primarily by Jack, is written for nine-year-olds. So as a result, I, in my my legal practice, I give that section to my clients who have kids who are infinitely more computer savvy than their parents. And as a family project, I have their nine- and ten-year-old kids register the images taken by mom and dad
1: well so go, go ahead registration because i really want because that to us is really really critically important you got to understand that you have all these rights under copyright and as we explained in the book and we explained in our lectures oh your copyright God. is worth almost a bucket of spit without the registration it's it's a uh it's a bow without an arrow it is the
2: key to the courthouse you cannot sue in the United States without having a registration?
1: In hand, you have to have the registration. Um, and, and that's something that the other side knows. A lot of infringers know if the image isn't registered, there's nothing you can do, and they can basically just ignore you. There's, there's no reason for them to respond to you. If you can't bring them to the courthouse and they know that, simply ignore you until you
2: register and you can register a shot years after you've taken it you may limit your remedies and what you can recover but if you're going to be going to court you cannot get through the door without the registration tribal wisdom of non-lawyers on chat rooms notwithstanding yeah and i i I have
0: seen (laughs) i i found threads where Ed is in the the comment thread, and it's what, some of the most entertaining stuff I've read on the internet to, to watch those conversations i when I went through registration, I, I'm like a lot of photographers, right? I didn't understand it um, you know why I would do it. Finally, I went, okay, I need to register my images and I, I, I went through something known, known as the pilot program, which is is different because it used to be had to mail stuff in if they had been previously published and were past ninety days. But when I'm going through, it's asking. Uh, whether or not the images were published or not published, uh, it's asking whether or not I'm registering them within ninety days or or after ninety days. So my question three to months. you is, when I'm registering three images, months. three
1: months. Just you know, that's one of the that's one of the big mistakes. It sounds like it's not. It, it's getting a little technical, but it's a three month window, not a ninety day window. It's done on a birthday calendar. Okay. First of this, it's the first of the next. So if you're running into February, you're losing days. So explain the whole 90-day thing to me. Three, three month. No I'm sorry. Explain
0: the whole, my notes. Explain well, the whole three-month you know, you know, thing
2: I mean, to me. And we go through this all the time before, before Jack explains it. We say certain things at lectures. And in one, one lecture that we did for five hours at a university, we told people at the end of the lecture, we're going to ask them questions and they will give us the wrong answers, and they did. Mm -hmm. And 90 days is one of the myths that we address repeatedly that just will not die.
1: Well, it's not a myth, it's just a, it's misstating. uh,
2: So
0: so you've got a three month window, but what is the difference between registering within the three months, or oh damn, I missed the three months, I'm after the three months.
2: Could be a few hundred thousand dollars in lawyer's fees.
1: Yeah, it's, the, the three month is about published work. So you got to remember that not unpublished. It's about the work is published, and then you have three months of a window to register it. So if if you take the picture January first and publish it on February first, and somebody infringes it on February twenty uh, seventh uh, or whatever, you still have time because the clock actually starts not from when you shoot it, but from when it's published, February first. So you have three months to register. Anybody who infringes within that, um, you're still covered. And what we mean by covered, you're covered at any time, um, even if you register after the three months. But if you register within the three months of your uh, publication, your first publication, and publication means presented to the public.
0: So that would include social media, because this is one of the big things I see on the internet is, um, the courts have not decided, and there is no case that says what is published. So Instagram doesn't count.
2: Excuse me. That, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the people who say that are not lawyers. They don't read uh, legal publications. And uh, 99.999% of them have never been in a courtroom in their life for other than jury duty. So let me give you a quick explanation of, in practice, what Jack is talking about.
1: And then, and then I'll get back to registration because right. there is some stuff so here's we still the haven't di- covered.
2: Here's the difference in money. Let's, for argument's sake, say that you agree to shoot the uh, uh, owner of a local ice cream shop. Photograph the local owner. Right. Photograph <laughs> the <local> owner. <laughs> photograph the owner of a local ice cream shop, and he's going to pay you $500. And uh, you take the photograph. And you deliver a print to him or a poster, and he puts it up in the window. And uh, you don't register it for 30, 40, 50 days. Then you register it. He doesn't pay you. Because you've registered it within 90 days of him using it, you are three months. months. You see? I just said 90 days. You see that? (laughs) If you've registered it within three months, the limit or the potential for your recovery is not $500, which would be your actual damages, but theoretically, if the ice cream store owner said, screw you, I have no intention of paying you, in the discretion of the court, if he willfully used it, knowing he didn't have permission, the court could award you up to $150,000, even though the job was a $500 job plus attorney's fees. So, so, so
0: jump to the after, after three months then, what if I register it? What if that same scenario happens, but I register at the four month mark?
2: Then you're looking at $500 okay. and under those facts. Now sometimes, and people should look at our blog, two cases, one is Andrew Paul Leonard, and the other is a, uh, a plant case that we just posted the other day, Actual damages without statutory damages Andrew Paul Leonard was awarded two million dollars Which was sustained on appeal or upheld on appeal with no statutory damages those were actual damages in another case nine hundred thousand dollars were awarded only a portion of which were statutory damages, so if you are a photographer of the stature of the stature of let's say a Richard Avedon you may not care about statutory damages because you routinely get a million dollars. Yeah, but, but that covers less than one-tenth of one percent of all photographers. The, what
1: we really try and tell people is register your images before they're published. One, it's easier. It's not as many hoops to jump through. You don't have to name everything so specifically for the copyright office. Um, and you can do – I've done as many as 13,000. Images on one registration. I, I was if told maybe it's because I'm doing published, but I was told
0: I had to limit it to 750. Correct,
1: published. Publish.
0: Okay. Publish. So if they're unpublished, there's virtually no limit.
1: Uh, no, there is a size limit at a certain point. Uh, as, as far file as size, as file size. Two, um, it needs to be an orderly registration. So if you, it's the stuff I've done has been one particular theme. The thirteen thousand was a trip to Africa. Right. Okay. I've had others that have been. You know, a job or something. It would be eight thousand images and things like and that. And tell
2: them how much you paid, Jack. Well, at that time it
1: was thirty-five dollars, but, but now, now it's fifty-five
0: dollars. Yeah, now it's fifty-five bucks. I do. Yeah. I did when I caught up. I did. I did. I went back and did each year. Now, right. one of the things with published images also is they all have to be from the same calendar year. Yeah, are well, going back. So, say again.
2: Let's not confuse the audience yet. On unpublished <laughs> on image. The Another myth that will not die is people believe it's $55 per image. It is $55 per submission. Now, one area where Jack and I have a disagreement on, and this is practice, you know, it's a question of your practice. If you, if one of my photographers does high fashion and she shoots for every major makeup company. So if she were to do a job for, let's say, Revlon, and she were to create 100 pictures, 100 photos, I would want her to register that job separately for a grand total of $55 because those pictures are already valuable because Revlon or Maybelline is paying her lots of money. So when you're shooting a defined uh, job or an assignment job, register that job as opposed to what Jack was saying, where he's touring Africa and he's shooting pictures that suits his fancy, not on assignment for a client. Suits my fancy? Yeah, suits your fancy.
0: (laughs) So, So let me clarify something, then. Um, like in my case where I'm going back and I'm catching up because I had never registered before. So I'm registering images from 2009 in a batch, from 2010 in a batch, because published images going back like that, you have to do one year at a time. 2011 in a batch and so on and so forth. And I spent, you know, 450, 500 bucks doing the, the batches. I register them, let's say, hypothetically, January 2017. But then I find an infringement that happened before I registered them well before, but they were published years ago. I'm limited to actual damages, even though they're registered.
1: Every one, one, one thing that I do want to emphasize on this: it, it's hard to come up with a situation and then apply it to everything. Is okay. I've learned from Ed over and over again.
2: Everything is
1: very fact specific.
2: Yeah. So let me give you let me give you a and our examples are all actual examples because real, real life. We've basically I hate this cliche, but it's true. We've seen it all. So for example, well, not all we've seen most of it, for example, and i I'm changing the facts very slightly. A photographer takes a photograph of a very, very famous sports figure in, let's use your dates, 2015. He then retires and he retires to, um, Scotland. Nice. He does not have a television set. He has no interest in sports whatsoever and he spends his days painting on the Scottish countryside. And one day his brother calls him up from New York and says, remember that picture you took of Derek Jeter? It's all over the place. Now our guy registers it, but he gets an extension of time within which to register because I told the court there's no way to know that my client could have known this was being used. So he got an extension to register the image because there was no way he could have known it was being stolen. That is a rare instance. That's not the typical. The typical is the easy way. As soon as you shoot it, just register it.
0: Yeah, it takes it. it literally is minutes. And yeah, you, never, I mean, you never
2: know, like we have in the book, picture of Britney Spears taken while she was at a wedding. She was 13 years old. Those were registered. The photographer, the wedding photographer, had no idea that seven, ten years later, she would become Britney Spears.
1: It, so, it,
0: Jack, you were going to say something to, to finish up uh, registration here?
1: <laughs> I long forgot what it was. But, no, let me, let me uh, read. Re, uh, group here and, and think about it, um, and, and the dates and stuff. It, it's, again, easier to register um, before they're published. It's a cost of doing business if you're a commercial photographer. If you're not, if you're an amateur, you still should register everything. That's another thing we hear. You know, I don't need to register. I don't shoot fancy schmancy pictures. Um, uh, you know, I just shoot this and that. Those images get ripped off too, and when they get ripped off, it's your, those pictures are just as valuable as if it was a Richard Avedon. Um, those pictures are copyrighted, and if it's infringed, it's infringed, and you're entitled for all the same monies uh, and everything. Um, the, the important thing about registration is just doing it. Thinking about it is harder than actually going through the process, sort of like do, your laundry. You can recover. Thinking about doing your laundry is harder than actually doing
0: it. You can well, and make it part of your workflow, basically. It has I to know. become a regular part of your yeah. workflow
2: and you can recover a lot more money. By the way, pictures taken by famous photographers like Mel Sikolsky or Richard Avedon or Bruce Weber are infringed far less often than generic stock lifestyle photos. 80% of our cases involve lifestyle generic photos because they're very flexibility lends themselves to being ripped off. So while I've had cases against Rick Ross and uh, Russell Simmons and involving athletes and rappers and so on and so forth, those are the ones that get people's attention. The more typical photograph that's going to get ripped off is a father and son in a pickup truck on their way to a Little League game or an extremely well-dressed black couple getting out of a limo on their way into a, uh, a wedding. Those kinds of photos can be used by catering halls, by travel uh, companies, frames, frames, anything, because they are generic. They're more right. vanilla. And um, and I keep losing my train of thought. Registration. If you register, if you register late, can it cost you money? Yes, it can cost you a lot of money, and your attorney. Will, be able, will not be able to get you statutory damages or attorney's fees if you register late. So just register when you shoot them.
1: The, the other thing, too, is, is and the number one bad piece of advice we hear from people on the Internet when somebody's been infringed, and I can guarantee you somebody's going to give this piece of information, send an invoice. Send them an invoice for two times, three times, ten times the amount means absolutely nothing. If it means anything, it means you just painted yourself into a corner. Because if that letter comes up or, you, or that invoice comes up because you decide you're going to hire a lawyer to sue, it's going to come up in court and the judge is going to say, well, you only asked for, for $500 here. Why are you suing for 10000 At which point, right. you
2: have to explain to the judge that the photographer did not know his rights. Or, or, the or right- that's
1: the nice way to say it. What he's right. really saying is my client's an idiot.
2: Right. So how would, you, how would anybody possibly know what the value of the infringement is upon seeing a single infringement? If I'm walking down the street, I'm a photographer, and I see the photo in Home Depot in Plainview, Long Island, how do I know it's not in Home Depot in Fresno or right, Dallas? Right, right. How do I know Stanley Tool is not using it in a television commercial in conjunction with Home Depot? Or Fred Tool. Well, right. Anybody so um, it's you, the job of the attorney to ascertain all the usages. And what the photographer should simply do is buy the product, take a photo of the infringement, and get thee to a local intellectual property attorney who's familiar with litigating those cases in that geographic area.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. and make sure that you research the lawyer. I, unfortunately, I've been running across some lawyers who uh, have been advertising for some of this work, and um, I have to tell you, it's been a little scary. And we know that because the mistakes end up sometimes in Ed's
2: office. They come to me after the first attorney, who's usually a door lawyer, meaning they'll take any case that comes through the door. Uh, Lawyers, believe it or not, uh, a lot of them have nothing to do. They know nothing about these cases, and worse, they know nothing about what they're actually worth. You need an attorney who actually goes into your local courts, deals with local judges and federal magistrates, and knows what these infringements are worth in the marketplace, if you will, of the courthouse located in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Houston, Podunk, or New York City. There's a lot of really good lawyers out there who handle these types of cases.
1: The trick is there's also a bunch, unfortunately, that we've been running across suddenly um, uh, because they're just looking for work. Ask, we have it in in our blog, and I think we have it even in the book, too, about how to research lawyers. Okay, good, good, good. And one of the things is find out what cases they've actually litigated. Are they litigators or are they what Ed calls pioneers? They're early settlers. Um, But this is the other thing about not sending in an invoice. The other thing, too, is photographers then will send a letter to a client saying, oh, you have my image, and they try and make them feel guilty about it. It's it's business. They don't feel guilty about it. What we recommend people to do is hire a lawyer. Send a lawyer letter. The difference between a letter coming from you um, means uh, nothing. Um, But when it comes on a lawyer's letterhead, and I'll hire Ed not to, not to sue somebody necessarily sometimes, to put the fear of God into them. And, and when they get a lawyer letter saying this is a registered image, and that's important, from a lawyer on a lawyer head letter, I got news for you. I'm going to settle that generally pretty, pretty quickly. And that's all it takes. I'm not hiring a lawyer to, you know, to go in and, and, and go to court necessarily. One of our most
2: popular articles, which is in the blog, is called Head Fakes, and other lawyer tricks.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a great one that, it's, that we, we recommend
2: people all the time to read. It's what defense lawyers do when they get a letter from a photographer. It's the tricks employed by the other side to make sure that they don't pay photographers, knowing full well that statistically, 98% of photographers don't pursue infringements, and therefore their crime pays. And it tells you, The article goes through how it's done. And the first and key uh, issue is that if a client slash infringer gets a letter from a photographer without a copyright registration, most of those infringers, if they have a brain, will give it to their attorney and the attorney will uh, basically put it in a folder and say, wait, because if we do nothing, the odds are overwhelming. You'll never hear from them again.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those sad things. The interesting thing on how we got this information is Ed had to go to classes to, as every lawyer to maintain his license. Right. And this class was what to do if your client infringes. And I think it's surprising to artists and photographers to hear that some companies employ risk assessment people to do a risk assessment on, well, if we infringe, w- what is our liability? And for some companies, it's a way of doing business. They figure that if they have to settle with one out of uh, 50 or 100, it's
2: cost effective for them just to do what they do. There was an editor there from a well-known documentary filmmaker who said, and I can't mention the name now because I have people who now work for that well-known documentary filmmaker, and she said, in a room full of 100-some-odd lawyers. She said, we'll make every effort to find out whether they're, whether the copyright holder is alive, we'll try to locate him or her. But if we can't, and we really want to use that picture of uh, Louis Armstrong or uh, uh, Lou Gehrig, we're going to use it. And if, as, and when we get a letter, we'll write a check.
0: So let me, was there anything else you wanted to touch on on copyright registration, Jack, before I moved on?
1: Uh, I'm trying to think just, it's, it's simple. I mean, cause it's
0: such a deep subject. Obviously we can't cover all of it here, but just so happens there's a book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just happen to have, well, hopefully you're enjoying the movie too, as, as we're here. Um, no, the, the things on registration again is just, uh, if you register before the infringement, you're entitled to statutory damages, you're entire, you're entitled to your lawyer fees.
2: And that usually scares the heck out of the other side. Um, let, let me clarify something, that, that something. Interesting let me interrupt you. Uh, I've done maybe once in my life. That gives you the uh, opportunity to be, to walk into a lawyer's office with a smile, because that means you're walking into a lawyer's office knowing that you're in control, that the odds are that you're the one who's likely to get money as opposed to the one getting sued. Right. Okay? Or as opposed to a divorce, where frequently no one wins. Here, you can, you can be optimistic, and a lawyer who knows what he or she is doing is optimistic, and it can be, dare I say, great fun pursuing um, infringers who, as we put in the book and in the blog, are invariably guilty, willfully infringing on your image, and they lie. To the point that, that <gasps> where we get hysterical, Elijah. So. No.
0: Yes. Jack, you said something. I just want to clarify this because this triggered my mind. You said register before the infringement because then you can get better damages. Even if it's after, after the no, no, no. three
1: months, if it's before the infringement, what, what, you're still okay? Now, now, the three months is just for published work. If you register your images before you do anything with it, before you- Right, you're always it, covered. Gotcha. You're, you're always covered. And when you're always covered, it's, it's really image insurance. And and hypothetically, if it was already
0: published, but it was not infringed until after you registered and the registration was after the three months, right? Statutory is out at that point though.
2: Correct. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Now I'm not sure about your question. <laughs> I'm not sure about your question. If Jack takes a photograph and he licenses it for use by kids or us, Okay, Kids or Us pays his fee, and Kids or Us uses it in the way that Jack and Kids or Us have agreed to. Okay, and that's done for some reason before Jack has registered them. Not likely, but let's say it did. Jack is not going to have a claim against Kids or Us. Now, let's say a month later, Jack registers it, and Joe Blow, toy company, now steals that photograph from Toys or Us. From their catalog, Jack can sue Joe Blow and get statutory damage.
1: Okay, good. That, 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 that clarifies it. So you can't be forced um, a, a publication. So let's say I did a job for Kids or Us, and the art director um, quit, took my images, and then used a picture that wasn't in the original thing but from the take. In other words, it was unpublished. He publishes it somewhere, and I find out six months later, doesn't matter i can't be forced a publication in that case i mean i think we're getting into the weeds a little
0: bit yeah yeah we're going we're going deep but it it, it clarifies i think we've clarified for a lot of people that the bottom line is register. don't listen to the people who say because i've seen this one doesn't matter you already own your copyright no go you, you, register you your images
1: That's
0: yeah. so let, let's let move to model releases because this this is one that i think is short and fast and easy in most cases but <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the comedy kicks in. Um, so obviously there are cases where you need a model release. Uh, there are cases you don't need a model release. There are now, you know, written model releases or model release apps, which you discussed on that Kelby won the grid one. Um, great, great topic actually on model release apps on that one. Um, but then there's also those specific scenarios. Like the, the one that I've seen, heard, and know people who've dealt with is in a book scenario where a cover a photo on a cover of a book is different than a photo that's inside of a book
2: that depends. because
0: one now is marketing advertising on a, on an end cap in a bookstore and type thing. And, no one and I could be completely wrong. So explain model releases and when, why people need
2: them. There's no one size fits all. Let's start from the easy answer. Always, all the time, without exception, without even thinking about it, always get a signed written model release all the time, always, in the time it takes to think about whether you need one, you would have re- already had one. Now, I've had clients who get commissioned to do the cover of a book written by famous person. So they do a portrait of famous person, they get paid for that image, and they license that image for use only on that book, hardcover and softcover editions. Now, if you're using a photograph for editorial purposes. Then you don't need a model release. So for example if I take a photograph of Jack crossing the street in 42nd Street Amongst a huge traffic jam and license that photo to the New York Daily News saying look at this traffic jam Jack can't sue me if I use that picture against Jack's will and say this is famous photographer Jack Resnicki who uses Canon cameras and that's a Canon camera on his shoulder. And if he didn't endorse Canon camera, he would sue me. He would need a mo- I would need a model release when it's used for trade, commercial purposes, branding, to steer eyeballs to a site. Right. You need a model release. So therefore, rather than thinking about whether to get one, just get one.
0: Okay, so that brings me then, you said written. What about the, the apps that are so popular now?
2: The apps, the, it's like saying, how good is a car without looking at the engine? The app is just the medium. I could give you a piece of paper that has a model release on it that's worthless. Paper model releases, when the contents are correct, are far better than apps which have correct contents because it is difficult to forge or alter paper. It is difficult and takes real talent to forge a signature, to adjust, manipulate an app. Well, anybody who knows Photoshop can do it. Any six year old can do it. So if I have a photographer on the witness stand and I'm representing a model and the model says, this isn't what I agreed to, I asked the photographer, do you know Photoshop? He says, yes. I said, you could put my head on the top of the Eiffel Tower, right? He says, right. I said, how does the jury know you didn't move a comma? How does the jury know you didn't move a word? When it's on paper, it's far superior evidence. Having said that, an app with correct contents is better than nothing.
1: Yeah,
0: and and be aware, there are model releases in your book.
1: Yeah, right. there are. And there's certain wordings like in, in most states, it's the first thing people put in is for valuable consideration here and acknowledged. We don't have that on ours.
0: I wondered about that.
1: Yeah, in, in New York State specifically, uh you need no consideration. And we had somebody argue saying, Oh no, you have to have that to make it a contract. No. A release is not a contract. In, a release is a release. It's a completely different animal.
2: Every state is different, and we urge, and the reason why some of these forms are not, particularly the invoices, are not in downloadable form is we urge people in the book to see a local lawyer to make sure that the invoices conform with your state's laws. In New York, you can charge a point and a half percent per month interest on an unpaid balance. In other states, you can get more or less. Well, let
1: me jump over to my releases again. I go down the street on on my block, and I've had it a while back. They do a lot of filming. I'm I'm near uh, Tudor City, and they love to film there because they can close it off. And they have a sign saying, if you enter this area, um, you're giving permission to be uh, filmed in this film, is basically what it says. It's a little wordier than that doesn't mean a thing in New York state. New York state specifically says it has to be a written instrument. You can't give away your rights uh, by something like that. And we've had several examples like that. Um, every, Every state is slightly different, but generally if you get a written release. That's your best bet. That's your best bet. And not just a blanket release sometimes. We tell people if it's a situation that can be considered a sensitive issue, make sure it's spelled out in plain English, it doesn't have to be lawyers, in plain English what you're doing. Like if you're shooting nudes, make sure it says that you're shooting nudes. Um, if you're doing something where you're depicting a child in a, um, um, how would you say, uh, what
2: type of situation would you say? it? Well, there are certain situations where you cannot get a release from even the parent? Even from the parent. If you wanted to photograph a child, and I had a case where the child was portrayed as a methamphetamine addict, the parent did not approve, but the parent would not have the legal right to approve. By the way, folks out there, don't assume that large companies know what they're doing. Right now, I have a case pending in federal court in New York for 15 of the biggest models uh, in the world against a, one company, which never bothered to get a written release for any of the models who were modeling things like uh, Chanel and uh, Dolce & Gabbana and Jason Wu and all big-name brands, and they never bothered to get a model release. So don't assume that just because there's an ad agency involved or a big company that they know what the law is.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have so to really,
0: exist. the bottom line is protect yourself. Just get, it's it's kind of like register the images. Just do it. It's just get the
1: it's
2: release. even easier. You don't yeah. even have to send it to Washington.
1: Yeah, I'll do something for a company sometimes, and it won't be anything big and fancy like that. You're going through and you're shooting, um, uh, let's say, bankers or real estate agents at a company or or workers in a factory, um, and you're shooting it for, for their annual report or whatever, brochure, and you're with the PR people, and you say, well, I need to get releases on everybody. You say, oh, no, we don't need releases. They work for us. And you're going, well, what happens if it gets published and they go work for somebody else next week or they get laid off and now their picture is in your annual report? What's going to happen? And the PR guys sort of like look at you and glaze over a little said, yeah, maybe we should get a release. Yeah, okay. Um, So I'm going to
0: move into something kind of specific to what I do because this is one of the areas when I I mentioned that I was going to talk to you guys, um, I had a bunch of people ask me questions and then I had all those questions that I see that, Everybody just spouts out answers as though they know, right? And we're going
2: to steal that phrase. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh, it's amazing the stuff that I see written we
2: on. You are stealing that phrase.
0: So I'm a concert photographer, and in a concert photography scenario, we're usually shooting for media for for editorial use. We can't go up to the lead singer of a major band and go, "Excuse me, can you sign this photo release so that I can, you know, use it in my portfolio or whatever?" So let's just make the assumption that you're shooting a concert and you don't have a model release because you don't, but quite often we have to sign releases, photo releases.
2: Let me interrupt you before you proceed, because we did a big article on Taylor, on a Taylor Swift case. Bands and venues vary. So I represent members of Leonard Skinner and the B-52s, and their photo agreements may not be the same as that of Paul McCartney or Joe and the Rockers. Also venues have their own rules and to confuse matters even more, the National Hockey League, the National Basketball Association and a rock concert may all be held in the same venue, let's pick one at random, the Staples Center. And each one of those performers or leagues have different rules. Sometimes the venue has rules which supersede all the other ones.
0: So, well, and, and most of those photo releases, when you see them though, they're fairly understandable and there's releases of bands, no yeah. names being mentioned that I won't sign. Right. And then there's the normal editorial release that I sign. But let's right. make the assumption, you go to shoot a concert at venue A mm-hmm. and neither the venue or the band has a release. And one of the common things that is stated on the web is, you still have the right to sell fine art pieces. And I see it everywhere. And it's always been my understanding it's true. So my question is one, you're shooting Metallica for editorial purposes. Let's say there was no release signed by for any entity, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a model release. You can't use it commercially. Can you sell fine art? And if so, legally, what's fine art? Is there a limit on the number? Does it have to be signed, you know, a one-off print?
2: The preferred, the preferred definition is a numbered series of 200 or less images. So people or photographers who, wink, wink, want to create fine art by churning out posters, it doesn't work. Limited numbered editions under 200.
1: Plus they're going to ask you, what, what is your fine art credentials? W- what galleries have you shown in? What makes you a fine art? Photographer, you can't suddenly become one to avoid a lawsuit.
0: Okay, good point. That's
1: one of the big mistakes that people make. Yes, there is a fine art exception. We have many examples of that. Um, It it is there. There was a rabbi here in New York who sued uh, uh, Philip LaCorka. I can't pronounce his name. Uh, It's an ethnic name. It's it's, um, a very well-known fine art photographer who shows in some of the best galleries. He he will sell in editions of five to ten of his images that's all he's producing um and um is getting fifteen twenty five thousand dollars a print rabbi sued him because he shot him on the street and he's selling it for all this money so it's against my religion he philip succeeded in his suit he wasn't you know he didn't have release; didn't matter he's a he's an established fine art photographer selling limited edition signed prints you know okay. it um it's not just oh i'm a fine art photographer so I can do whatever I want with it.
0: You okay, and that was one of the misconceptions that I see is that it, it doesn't have to be numbered, but you can't go print 500 and well, then sell them. You can print it, them one off with a signature.
2: No, it's, it should be numbered. It should be numbered. And okay. Jack's example, which we have in the book about Rabbi it, it on the actual facts that Jack just gave him, let's just change one thing. Let's say that at the bottom of the picture, it says that he loves Frito-Lays. Then you need a model release. Then the rabbi would be entitled to a lot of money and could eat a lot of Frito-Lays. Are they kosher? Uh, yeah, it could be. Oh, so he could eat them he eat eat anyway. Yeah, so know. Let,
0: let's move to one of the big ones, which you and I talked about, Ed, when I came to you with my issue.
1: Yeah, we're gonna and that is through.
0: watermarks. And this is really, I have the feeling going to be a one-word answer. Is there ever a time online that your image should not have a watermark?
2: Well, everything you shoot should be watermarked, and we have uh, several articles on our blog about it. You're entitled to separate damages if someone uh, uh, changes your metadata software, which tracks your copyright, or alters your watermark. Having said that, from an artistic standpoint... I always have a watermark, but it's
1: a very small, discreet copyright notice in a little corner, and I usually fade it back a little bit I just want it there. That's uh, what I companies. do. I want people to know it's mine. Why not? I mean, it's advertising too. It's
0: branding. To me, it's partially branding, but it's also what Ed just mentioned.
1: Right. And if it's removed, not, not only is it something completely separate from copyright, I mean, it, it's uh, usually a violation of the DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, uh, which, which is actually not copyright. It's another issue entirely. And for a lawyer like Ed, it also means in court, he can say, it's willful infringement. If somebody removes your copyright, it now becomes a willful infringement and means a lot more money in court. You put that so, person
2: you put that person on the stand and they say and my question is why would you do that? Yeah. And the only reason the only answer is we wanted it out. So therefore you knew who took it. You knew that you didn't take it. You knew that somebody else took it.
0: So I got a question on Twitter from a guy by the name of Martin Bone, and Martin asked about social media sites. And this is a tough one, I think, to answer because obviously Facebook, Instagram, 500 pics, uh, uh, Twitter, they, they're all going to have different terms of service. So there is no global answer, I'm sure, to this. But in general, photographers' rights with social media sites. Any comment on that?
2: Yeah, I'm going to – I'm going and then I'll, I'll do a quickie, and then I'll shut up and turn it over to Jack.
1: Oh, I want to see the <laughs> –
2: a register, register everything all the register everything all the time no matter what before you put it on a social media site But secondly and we have had I have had numerous of these cases people see something on Twitter uh, Twitter's uh, social media site and It'll be a photograph and it will say Sally M and I loved uh, Joe blows most recent album those posts are made by companies. They're made by record companies. They're made by movie companies. They're made by PR firms. They are made to appear as if they are put by quote unquote regular people when in fact infringers like record companies, movie companies, TV productions, pay companies to make these social media posts. So in some of our cases, which were resolved to the satisfaction of our clients, we found thousands of posts that were, although on social media, were actually posted by the infringer or agents of the infringer. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's, it's social media definitely is. It's something that these days, if you're, you're a young photographer, you have to be on. I mean, it's part of business. I mean,
0: you put your pictures, I'm assuming, on Instagram or Facebook?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram um, all the time. It's uh, going to have to follow you marketing. Uh, oh, all my travel stuff. You'll love it. In fact, I just announced a Miramar workshop. I'll be teaching at the end of next year. Which is what, another-
0: what's your Instagram? It's uh, it's Reznici, right?
1: At at Reznici, right? Okay. R E Z, N I C um, K I. Here's the thing. All these sites need to grab some of your copyright in order to make the social media site work. And the way it works is it goes through separate servers. Every time it goes on another server, if they don't have the right to your copyright, a a license from you to use it, um, it's illegal. So they have to take that. And what happens is the lawyers overreach on a lot of these sites. They want to protect their company as much as they can. But what they're doing is they're grabbing it for that company. They're grabbing it for Instagram. They're grabbing it for Facebook. Um, they have some other language about third party usage, but they're not licensing it to third party usages just because you see it on those medias, uh, doesn't mean that you can use it. It's like, I see a car on the street outside the Hertz, uh, you know, rental office with the keys in it and the car is running. doesn't mean I can get in the car and go off with it. It's not my. Now what, one of our, one of the, one of the people. See, that- it wasn't going to last long, was it?
2: No, one, one of the, <laughs> one of the people that we know uses social media in a way which I think is extremely clever. Uh, he's but
1: but before, before you get in, let me just finish my thoughts because I'm not going to get into it Oh, again. I think we're done. No, I wasn't done. I, think I think we're done. I wasn't done. Um, see, now I'm forgetting what I was French going to talk track. about. Um, uh, one of the things is these sites are not going to make your images available to everybody. If somebody rips it off of if that happened, what furor would happen online about somebody saying, Right. My God, you know they're licensing my image to uh, uh, to Ford to use for this and that. I mean, it did happen once, and it created a big furor. Um, they don't want that kind of publicity. They're not going to do that. Think about it. They just want their site to function. They're not using it as a clearinghouse for other people. So, so I'm not scared about putting stuff up necessarily. I'm careful of what I put up. Everything I put up is registered and Everything watermarked. Have the watermark. Yes. So. And and honestly, you put stuff online. There's there's one other thing I just want to get across. A lot of people, they get online, they're upset. They've been violated. Their image has been stolen. Honestly, something like that happens to me most of the time, all I hear is ka-ching. I just turn it over to Ed. It's a real simple process for me. I, I know it's registered. If it's somebody I know we can get to like that, I'm going to be collecting a check. There's no question about it. So it's not a fearful thing for me.
0: So here's the question then: What is the best way? Because uh, I don't want to get into the weeds on the the Pixie and and TinEye conversation.
2: Uh, you definitely uh, want to talk to that that Pixie sound, yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. And go go research Ed Greenberg and Pixie, and you'll just find seriously some great posts. So, what is the best way to find infringements? And when you find them, what what is the deciding factor? on how far you wanna go. I mean, in some cases you, is there ever a case you just go, I, I'm gonna try and settle, but I don't really wanna to go to court if it goes
1: that far. Sure.
2: Yeah. Sure. We, there are many ways to find infringements, including a simple Google image search, having your buddies, comrades and friends and models who participated in the shoot, look out for them. We have in my office, our own system. I represent a stock agency who has hired a super geek somewhere in Asia, whose name I don't know, who has skills that are superior to any uh, TinEye or Pixie or any of those uh, search firms. Remember, search firms only search the web. My best cases have been instances where photographs were used on shower curtains, rugs, boxes, t-shirts, memorabilia, which never appeared on the web. So um, to rely on a search firm and only the web is simply not good enough. Let me go back real quick about one thing on social media. One of of our clients did something very, very clever. Um, He shot, let's say behind the scenes, they were doing, uh, I'm just gonna make up a show, Saturday Night Live. And he was shooting behind the scenes and he did a lot of pictures, which he posted on social media with him and cast members. None of those images, if stolen, were of any value at all. What he did was it branded him as the guy picked by Saturday Night Live to shoot behind the scenes. So there he is standing next to Tina Fey and it branded him but that's not an image that anybody is going to steal.
1: Right, right. Yeah, okay, so social media. Go, go ahead, Jack. No, no, it's just uh, one of the reasons to be on social media. I mean, it's it's a different animal these days. It's marketing. So I, I, I've got to get
0: this one question in because Troy Miller also hit me up on the web and he brought up an interesting one being as how it's copyright, you know, the word copy is in there. and. You know, we've heard with the Obama campaign and everything a uh, number of years ago, where somebody took somebody's art and they modified it and changed it. And this is a deep thing. I don't want to get and too. We brought hurt. up an interesting yeah, scenario.
2: Don't get into that case because he had criminal
1: consequences. There's a whole bunch of other. Reasons. Yeah, and and again, I don't
0: want to get into those weeds, yeah. but he brought an interesting one up, and that is, what about making a piece of art right from a completely different medium, but molded from somebody else's work, and he gave an example, you take a photograph of a family portrait, you have another artist do a painting from that image, essentially identical, but as a painting, or you take a sculpture, you have a photograph of an eagle, and you make a sculpture based on that, the, the eagle that was in that photograph, you can clearly see the sculpture matches the eagle that was in the photograph, is that a copyright infringement?
1: Yes. yes, and we'll go all the way back to your bundle of rights. One of your rights is called derivatives. Those are all considered derivatives, and it's an issue that, that I lecture when we're together. I have a whole section on derivatives because everybody brings up um, all these guys now that are appropriation artists, and they get sued. Um, and why do they get away with some of it? Because they don't get sued. Um, what's the famous one with Sam Abel shot of the Marlboro Man? Uh, the Marlboro Man. The Marlboro
0: Man. Uh, <laughs> he answered his own question.
1: By what's the name? The artist. Prince. is Prince. Richard Prince. Prince. And people say, oh, you know, well, um, uh, Prince got away with it, and, and he won, and he won this case, and he won the one with Carey, uh, um, Patrick Carey, uh, that yeah. case. He didn't win that case. It was settled. Um, and the one with the Marlboro Man, the reason he got away with it is the photographer sold his copyright. It was a work for hire for Marlboro which is what happens in those days. If you did cigarette ads, you gave away your copyright to the cigarette company. They had no reason to sue. They saw it as free advertising. That's why you got away with it. Doesn't mean the photographer was happy about it. Um, and the one with um, um, uh, CareU and Prince, where, where he appropriated the stuff, it went to one court where Prince lost terribly. And then uh, in appellate court, it was a split decision. They said, well, these are okay but these aren't, so we're gonna send it back again. And when that happened, he settled. Um, Andy Warhol was sued by three different photographers for a series he did, Um, uh, Patricia Caulfield and and Flowers and uh, one of the JFK uh, funeral and uh, race rides by somebody else. Those three photographers on three different things sued him. What does his lawyer say? They're gonna win. Andy settled after that he realized all he had to do was ask permission right he either gave it to him or if it was somebody like disney he simply licensed it
2: in the most simple in the most simple terms if jack takes a photograph of anything and anita Coons were to paint over it with watercolor or oil whatever medium without jack's permission that's copyright infringement jack may say Anita, I'd love for you to turn this into an oil painting and we'll sell a limited edition and we'll split the money, in which case everything's fine. One, one last example on that. There was a trade
1: association, which I won't name, in their April uh, Copyright Awareness Month issue. Yes. Put a copyright infringement on the cover of the magazine. Right. Oh. It was a ripoff of a – I'm sorry, I shouldn't say ripoff – it was, um, it was a Norman Rockwell painting, I knew it right away. And they said, oh, it was homage or you know influenced by Norman Rockwell, no it wasn't. We did an article on our blog, thecopyrightzone.com, on this issue, and we showed the magazine and Norman Rockwell's image. And I came up with 15 points of similarity, uh, just barely got started with it, explaining this is the way a, a lawyer in court is gonna dissect it. And as we said, you could never say absolutely what a court is gonna decide or a jury's gonna decide in these cases. But this looked pretty obvious that it was an infringement.
0: Um, so th- you, you just mentioned the copyright zone, which right. is where I wanna wanna finish at. You guys still post to the blog at the copyright zone, right?
1: Yeah, we're, we're infrequent on it, but I gotta tell you, it's a wonderful source of really great articles. Head fakes is, is a really good one. How to hire a lawyer. We'll talk about individual cases that come up in the news and a lot of misconceptions of things that are out there. I okay.
0: lost it. I lost a couple hours one day going through that site. Um, uh, you lost them? Yeah, you I lost, never found him him them again. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to find a lawyer to get them back for me. Um, <laughs> copyrightzone.com uh, is where you can find either Ed or Jack, but uh, I don't know. Ed, do you have any social media sites people can find you at?
2: Do I have a website for the firm?
0: Uh, aside from Copyright Zone, do you have any other social media sites, Twitter, uh, Facebook?
2: Of course, if I did have a website, I get so many inquiries now from both the Copyright Zone, the blog, the book, uh, lectures, that I would not be able to service my clients.
0: But Jack, you are not only the Copyright Zone, you've got your photography site, resnicki.com, R-E-Z-N-I-C-K-I. Right.
1: We spelled .com. It.
0: Yeah. Uh, Twitter, you. I love this. You're copyright Jack. Right. Creative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Facebook. You're on Facebook too, Jack. Uh-huh. and then Instagram. You are just Resnicky. Which as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go follow you on Instagram. Oh um, do. And then I I've got to push this because this book has been wonderful to read. Uh, I, I I'm not saying that because you're sitting in front of me. It's because when I when I first started looking at copyright stuff. Really, honestly, my mind was like, okay, I'm going to read through this. This is going to be a chore, but it's a job. I've got to do this. I have to understand this. And then I picked it up and read it. And it's a joy to read. It's easy. It's got images that I understand. It's got dialogue that I understand. Really well done. And it's available on Amazon. I will have a link in the show notes.
2: You should send us more money. (laughs) You should send us like a lot of money.
0: I I bought bought one.
1: <laughs> That's good.
0: Uh, but again, Ed Greenberg, Jack Resnicki, I, I've taken so much of your time, and my apologies. But really, honestly, I, I just, based on what I went through recently with two of my images, I just believe photographers don't understand the most important thing behind the shot. They don't. Is their rights?
2: Exactly. They don't. If they're a trust fund baby or they just hit lotto, it doesn't matter for everybody else. It matters a lot.
0: Well, guys, thank you so very, very much. And I'm serious. If you're ever out in L.A., and I know, Ed, that will be a long shot, but you know, I'll meet you in Vegas. Uh, I, I would love to buy you guys dinner and a drink. Thank you very much. And, and to those of you watching, uh, we will get back to looking at photographs on the next episode. But this has been a special episode of Behind the Shot, taking a look at copyright for photographers, mostly in the U.S., but copyright for photographers. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Behind the Shot, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Our pleasure.